Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in partnership with Captive Resources and delving into the world of medical stop loss in group captives. Listeners in the United States may be familiar with the trend of increasing numbers and types of captives writing some form of medical stop loss cover and group captives have been a popular and effective option for employers to pull together to self-fund coverage. Over the next 20 minutes I'll be joined by Joseph Perilli, Senior Vice President at Captive Resources to talk about the wider market developments and how group captives can be a successful option and Julie Antonis, Health and Wellness Coordinator at Able LLC, who shares with us their own experiences of the group captive approach. So, Joe, for how long has Captive Resources been working with insureds on uh, medical stop loss solutions? Yeah, Richard, first, thanks for, for having me on. It's a great question. As you know, Captive Resources has been consulting the member owned group captives for nearly 40 years. Going back to early 2010, mid-2010, a number of our casualty clients started asking for a solution related to medical stop loss. It was one of their biggest expenses. They had seen great success on the casualty side and wanted a solution that mirrored up with what they were used to. So in April of 2011, Captive Resources assisted in the formation of WellHealth, our first medical stop loss captive client. And the programs, the unit has continued to grow since that time. Fantastic. So how how, uh, have the programs grown then over that period? How much take up have you seen? Captive Resources currently works with three medical stop loss group captives. Since the 2011 time, we've seen a huge uptick, I'd say over the last five years, the programs have now grown to over 200 member companies. In the beginning, you know, it was still a new concept. Medical stop loss captives in 2011 were not quite a buzzword like the casualty captives were. But as time has gone on and we moved past really 2015, we've really gotten out of the early adopter stage and into kind of more common space where medical stop loss group captives are a conversation in the marketplace pretty consistently. Yeah, really good to hear those those numbers, Joe. Like two hundred members of 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 your medical stop loss captives. It's, I love hearing those numbers because we talk a lot about single parent captives on this podcast. And when we talk about the group captive market, it just reminds me that there's so many other companies out there, hundreds and hundreds of other companies who are participating in the other types of captive structures, uh, which I always always like to hear. Julie, really good to have you uh, onto the podcast for the first time. Can you perhaps start by telling us a little bit about your company and the risk profile and, and insurance needs of them? Hi, Richard. Thanks so much for having me today. Um, I'm happy to be here. Able is a family-owned company. It's composed of two businesses, Polyprocessing, which is a plastics manufacturing company, and Washita Fertilizer, which is a liquid fertilizer company. We have about 156 employees, and we cover 210 members under our self-funded health plan. ABLE adopted a self-funded health plan back in 2006, and this was really in an effort to increase transparency and flexibility and mainly to manage claims expenses. And as you know, you know, in a fully insured model, employers pay a predetermined premium amount set by a carrier to cover annual claims expenses. When the actual cost of those claims incurred falls below that premium, of course, carriers keep the difference. And for self-funded plans, rather than paying a predetermined premium, these claims are paid as they actually occur. 
So this impact on cash flow has been significant for us. Um, there are fewer fixed costs out of our control, and we have more ability to control the variable pool of claims expenses. So in addition to increased financial control, our self-funded plan has really afforded us visibility into plan performance, more personalized plan design and clinical outreach options, increased control over risk via stop-loss insurance, transparent vendor compensation, and really fewer regulations and lower administrative costs. How long then have you been a, a participant of the Well Health Insurance uh, Group Captive and what have been some of the benefits uh, you've, you've found during that period? So ABLE has been part of the Well Health Captive since its inception in 2011. Um, one of our biggest benefits of belonging to the captive has been the abundance of resources offered to us that have really led us to make very meaningful changes to our health plan. As a self-funded employer, we do have the ability to make impactful changes to our plan design, but with WellHealth, we are given specific resources through which to make those changes. Our employees are our most important customers, and we strive to offer a health benefits plan that is tailored to their needs, that is user-friendly, and of superior quality. Being part of the WellHealth captive helps us to do just that. The resources that I talk about that are made available to us through WellHealth include vendors that offer point solutions for cost containment, as well as shared experiences and networking among WellHealth members. Working with other members of WellHealth has introduced us to a vast network of resources that we never would have known about without being part of the captive. Through an online forum and in-person workshops, members of the captive are able to engage in open discussions of the experiences, successes, and failures of fellow members. Some of the vendors that we were introduced to through WellHealth that have made a tremendous impact to our health plan include Anovu, which is a data analytics program, Sharks, which is a non-insurance pharmacy advocacy solution that sources alternative funding for high-cost specialty medications, KISS-X Card, which is a surgical and imaging bundling program, and FedLogic, which is a benefit offering specialized state and federal benefits knowledge, just to name a few. And to offer an example of the kind of impact these vendors have had on our company, I'll tell you a little bit about Sharks Rx, which is the non-pharmacy advocacy solution that sources alternative funding for high-cost specialty medications. In 2020, 14 members on our plan cost us over $350,000 in high-cost specialty drugs. That was over a one-year period. A fellow WellHealth member introduced us to the PBM add-on Sharks Rx, and we had a projected 56% annual savings which we have exceeded not even one year after implementation. We've appreciated an employer savings of $204,000 since its implementation in October 2021, along with a member savings of $34,000. If we were not a member of WellHealth and just a self-funded program, we never would have been afforded these opportunities. So without WellHealth and its abundance of resources, we never would have even had the knowledge of these programs, nor the personalized insight into implementing them. Yeah, really good, Drew, to hear both those financial and uh, non-financial benefits that you, you get from being part of WellHealth. And, and Joe, it's, it's particularly interesting to hear on the medical stop-loss side, because on the PNC side, we've heard before in the podcast, a big advantage of, of participating in the kind of captive resources group captives is accessing that network of peers to share best practices and experiences. And it sounds like from what Judy was saying that that absolutely extends to the medical stop-loss side and, and group captives there. So can you tell us a little bit from the captive resources side, how that works. 
Yeah, and Julie did a great job explaining a lot of the value that she and, and Abel have pulled out of the captive side. It does match up very closely with what we've done on the casualty side related to safety. The members who decide to become an owner of the reinsurance company or the captive are deciding to come together with all of the other like-minded companies to try to figure out a way to control their total healthcare spend. Medical stop loss is different than casualty in the sense that about 80% of what a company spends are going to be those everyday claims. It's not the physical premium aspect that they pay out as a fixed cost on a monthly basis. So that is different than our casualty approach. And what that affords the members is the ability to learn from each other, come together at workshops, board meetings, on webinars, and hear all of these different innovative approaches to controlling total healthcare spend. And then each company has the ability to go back and figure out the solutions that are gonna fit their company culture. So all of the things that Julie went through were probably not even half of the takeaways that they as a company had learned from the individual member companies and the captive. But at the end of the day, those were the solutions that fit where they wanted to go and how they wanted to get to controlling their healthcare spend. Some of those solutions, Richard, work for some folks, some don't work for others, right? The captive is heterogeneous in nature. It is spread all across the country. So you have variations based on a lot of different factors, including networks, TPAs, that play into how you implement different types of point solutions. So the ability for these members to learn from each other, and it's not just the good, it's, it's the struggles as well, so others don't have those pitfalls, has really led to the success of the programs over that 11 to 12 year period. And when we ask the member companies of these captives, where they find the greatest value, it's not necessarily the risk-reward mechanism of the captive layer. They find great success. They find the reason they stay in the captive is the ability to learn from each other. Yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. And Julie, you, you, you really outlined there what the, some of those benefits are that you get. And obviously, I guess in some degree, it's reliant on other members being open and sharing with each other and all participating in those kind of schemes where it's relevant to them. So I'd be interested to know from you, Julie, how do you be a good member of Well Health and make sure you get the most out of it while also, I guess, giving to other members? Well, Richard, I would say that the best way to be a good member of WellHelp is to get as involved as you can. As I said earlier, WellHelp offers us access to resources through which we've made very meaningful and valuable changes to our plan. These resources include people, as Joe just mentioned, other members. Networking with other members of the captive has really allowed us to make their successes our own and to make our successes theirs. WellHelp recently established ad hoc committees made up of WellHelp members as a way of increasing member involvement in the completion of specific initiatives. So the committees include a cancer committee, a NOVU committee, which is our fantastic data analytics program, a strategic vendor committee, a PBM add-on committee, which addresses high-cost specialty medications, an on-site or near-site clinics committee. So members in each of these committees 
have had experience in these different areas and are able to come together to offer a pathway to success for all members of the captive. The successes of individual members can be translated into success for the captive as a whole. And I'd say that, you know, participation by all makes Well Health a better program. Julie was 100% correct in the sense that participation is the key driver to the success behind the captive. So the members being owners of the reinsurance company do put a lot of pressure on each other to be actively engaged. So when there aren't folks participating, members are asking why. Members want to hear from each other. They don't want necessarily only to be hearing from what is considered vendor, you know, vendor experts in the marketplace. They don't only want to be hearing from the stop loss carrier TPAs. The value of the individual experiences goes so much further. So at these workshops, at these webinars, we really put high emphasis on members doing presentations. We constantly are reaching out to members of different captives, wanting them to tell their story, which again leads to a lot of that general success. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You you want the yeah you need and want the members to be engaged with each other to, so everyone kind of benefits from it. Um, we're going to come back to Julie uh, in a moment and talk about kind of internally what has made some of the participation of success. But I want now Joe to just look briefly at the actual broader uh, state of the commercial market. Obviously, we've been through a disruptive time in all kinds of lines of insurance for the last three years. What is your observations of the of the current state of the medical stop loss commercial market at this time, Joe? Yeah, it's. You know, it continues to fluctuate, I would say. Well Health has used a large fronting carrier for many years. We look at medical trend. It is a real number. It is real in the market. That has seemed to level out. There's a lot of variations to it, but somewhere between 12 and 15%. So the increase in cost relative to medical stop loss continues to go up. On top of that, inflators, the fact that care is everywhere, right? Mega mergers continue to happen, and they're happening for billions of dollars at a time. And then in the United States, we won't settle for anything but the best. So costs are driven by research and development. A lot of those items, a lot of those inflators, all lead to the increase in spend of those everyday claims. So not only are you seeing an increase just from the medical stop loss perspective, you're also seeing a lot of pressure on those employers relative to you know, how their employees and the spouses and the individuals on their plan are spending money. So costs have increased 400%, but organizations aren't paying their employees four times more to cover that spend, right? So the idea of figuring out ways to really go about controlling the cost, not passing increases down to the employees year over year, is really what the members of these group captives are trying to get to. They want to keep best-in-class benefits. They want to take care of their employees and their most valuable assets, as Julie said, but they want to do it in a way that doesn't put the added financial pressure on each of those valuable assets. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it does make sense. And you've kind of answered partly my next question, which was why 
I think you've outlined it really previously, but you know, why is self-insuring or pooling medical stop loss in this way becoming increasingly common? And I think the more important question is how much further room for growth is there? How many companies out there are there you know, who are facing those challenges that you just outlined in the commercial market and, and would be ripe for entering some kind of pooling or, or medical stop loss group captive arrangement? Yeah, we've done a couple studies around this. And it's to me, it's always interesting when you look at numbers, right? So First, self-funding in and of itself is a huge growth segment relative to medical insurance. Over the last three years, there's probably been close to a 15% increase in the groups that have jumped to self-funding. And I guess even if we go back further than 2018, you would see that increasing dramatically more. But when you look at the, the space for groups to move into group captives, from the best we can estimate, there's about 170,000 companies in the United States that range anywhere from 50 employees to 1,000 employees. Rough numbers, but when you think about the target universe of a captive, anywhere from 50 to 1,000 is somewhat the sweet spot. So even assuming you don't want half of those groups, driven off claim situations, or they're just not a right fit for the captive from a mentality standpoint, whatever the case may be, you are still left with 85,000, give or take, companies that could fit a group captive model just based on size. When you look at the landscape of medical stop loss captives, as I mentioned, they've really become a buzzword over the last five years. So what we see is there is a lot of green grass in the market to continue to grow group captives in this space. There is not a dominant player that has all of the market share like you might see on the casualty side. So room to grow, I think this is just in its infancy. I think this has started over the last couple of years and we're just at the tip of the iceberg related to groups that are gonna transition into medical stop loss captives. Yeah, that's fascinating. Those numbers obviously are, are huge. I guess, though, it's really important from the existing members of those group captives over, obviously, that the, as you said, kind of, Joe, that the, the right contenders, the right candidates are added to those. And, and you're making sure that they are well risk managed companies and they're open to that engagement and open to that, that peer sharing that Julie outlined earlier, that you are getting more good members rather than, I'm not sure what the right word is, kind of polluting or corrupting a good, healthy insurance company with some bad risk. Yeah. And that all goes into a captive manager or captive consultant's approach to looking at how group captives want to and should grow. As you've mentioned, Richard, and as we talked about, these captives are member owned. So Julie, as an example, and all of the other members of the captive have insight and transparency into how their reinsurance company is performing. If the captive was to grow, but the losses were to significantly change, they're going to have a lot of questions, right? Yeah. So growth is good. Growth is spread of risk, but it is incredibly important to be spreading that risk amongst as many good and quality groups as you can find. And in the medical stop loss space, that, that could be difficult. There could be a year that a group isn't a fit because of an ongoing situation, but that situation could change the next year. So there's a lot of volatility in those claims. But again, as you look at the target universe of about 170,000 companies in that 
sizeless landscape, if you assume half of those have bad risk and half don't fit from a mentality standpoint, you are still left with such a large pool of companies that this could be a great fit for. So Julie, just to finish then, we've talked a lot about some of the benefits that you have seen as, a, as an organization, you know, financial, non-financial, but I guess it's important to ask, you know, what has made that possible? What has made your experience a success? What roles were important to define and, and get working closely together, I guess, both internally and externally? Well, Richard, I'd really like to emphasize the importance here of having the right framework in place. And by framework, I'm referring to the TPA you select or the third party administrator and your PBM or pharmacy benefits manager. So in order to take advantage of invaluable resources like many that I mentioned before, sharks, for example, you have to you have to have the right TPA and PBM in place. It's critical to have the right framework So, because because not all TPAs and PBMs are going to work with all vendors for various reasons. However, your TPA and PBM work for you, and you should never hesitate to request that they accommodate you in various ways. So you got to be a little bit aggressive with it sometimes. If your TPA or PBM can't work with you to facilitate the implementation of desired vendors, then you should absolutely consider making a change because the benefits of partnering with certain vendors often outweigh the inconvenience of switching key players in your health plan. So, for example, we work with United Healthcare and Southern Scrubs. And in our experience, we've had pretty good cooperation when it comes to implementing these new point solutions or vendors. However, there has been some pushback. And this is where I want to highlight the importance of the, your relationship with your broker. So we've been extremely fortunate to work with an incredible broker. She is invested in our company and has no problem advocating for us and pushing for our TPA and PBM to make exceptions if needed in order to accommodate us. And if we run into any barriers in implementing new programs, which we have, she works tirelessly to work through any issues with the TPA and PBM in order to work something out. So I'd say that active participation and routine communication with captive resources cannot be overstated either. We don't hesitate to bring suggestions or issues to the executive committee of the captive, and they are always very well received and promptly turned into action items. So being a member of a captive is really not enough. You have to find a captive that has your best interest at heart. And we found that in captive resources and well health. Well, thank you to Joseph and Judy for a really, really informative 20 minutes. Always great to hear that firsthand account. If you'd like more information on Captive Resources, then do please visit their Friend of the Podcast page on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. Captives.